So have you ever read a passage of Scripture, and you're pretty familiar with it because you've read it before, you've read it multiple times, and all of a sudden, this one time you read it, you're like, holy cow, I never saw that there before. Did someone like type that in when I wasn't looking? So I've had to have read Ephesians who knows how many times. It's probably, outside of the Gospel of John, I think Ephesians is, is right up there in like the top three of my favorite books of the Bible. And I learned something new this week. And what's really cool about it was Thursday I came home from the office and I said to Sandy, I'm not so excited about my sermon this week. And she's like, why not? And I said, I'm missing something. I just feel like I'm missing something. And you know, God sometimes takes his good old time. Because I didn't get that missing component until about 8 o'clock this morning. And I had been at it since 5.30 this morning, hoping I could come up with that missing component. And the interesting thing was, when I was not looking for it, I got it. So, I get pretty excited when there's something new that I learn in Scripture, and I feel like you ought to get excited too, because it might just be for some of you, as much as it's for me. So here we go. Ephesians series, week two. So last week we started a series in the book of Ephesians. Paul began his letter to the church at Ephesus by reminding them a few things. He reminded them that they were blessed, they were chosen, redeemed, forgiven, and the fact that all of those things are lavished upon us. They're not just given to us just partially. God lavishes those things on us. And then he went on to talk about three really important things. Things that Paul went to his knees regularly and prayed. He prayed that we would know God, not about Him. We would know Him relationally. He prayed that we would have a hope, an expectation in our inheritance as part of the family. And he prayed that our hope or expectation would include an expectation of a life that is marked by the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And so then we get to chapter 2. And Paul, once again, if we remember, Paul is writing this from, from a Roman prison cell. And it's my opinion that he took the book of Ephesians and he said, you know what? These are some really, really important things. I'm going I'm to condense it all in here. I'm going to hook up the fire hose and blast it full blast here. These are things the church needs to know. And so... As we look at Ephesians chapter 2, we get to some more things. And I think in chapter 2, Paul really gets to some foundational parts of our walk with God. Foundational key ingredients to Christianity and our belief in Jesus in chapter 2. So let's begin at verse 1, and we'll go verse 1 to 3. As for you... You were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. Now I read this and I'm like, wow, Paul, thanks. <laughs> really needed that reminder. Thanks a lot. You need to tell me all that. I know where I've been. I know what I've done. And now you just went and brought it all up. Listen, before we start beating ourselves up here, I think there's some really important things 
important reasons why Paul brought this up. The first one is this. I want you to look across the room. Look at the people who are seated here. Look at the person sitting next to you. Take a good look at them. And now I want you to look at Sandy. Everybody look at Sandy. (laughs) Now, I want you to look at my sons. There's one here, one back there. I don't know where Ben is. Now look at me. Do you know what you're seeing when you look across the room at each other? When you look at my wife, when you look at me, when you look at my sons, here's what you see. Nobody that you looked at is perfect. Agreed? Don't disagree with me on that one. I mean, you could disagree if you want to, but you'd also be wrong. You see, we all have a past, don't we? We all have a past. And Paul points that out in these first couple verses. (laughs) He said you're all deserving of death because you're all sinners. Now go with me. Paul's about to use one of my favorite words in the Bible. What is it, class? But. He knew what he was about to say. Paul summed up where we had been but now he's saying but look at the next verse four and five but because of his great love for us god who is rich in mercy made us alive with christ even when we are dead in transgressions it is by grace you have been saved but god but god but god i love this He just told us where we were. He just told us it didn't matter where we were. Why? But God. But God loved us. He's rich in mercy. He's full of grace. But God, when we didn't deserve anything besides death, but God stepped in while we were already dead, but God made us alive. When the Father resurrected Jesus from the dead, possible for us to live do you guys get this this is a jump up and down and scream hallelujah moment you guys probably get tired of hearing this this phrase has been used often but i love it it's on my bulletin board in my office because i so think it's true For too long, I think we've believed that Christianity, for too long, I think we believe that the church, the mission of the church, uh, the mission of pastors, the mission of leaders in the church, the mission of evangelists was to go out and help bad people become good, to help them correct their behavior so that they lived right. But that's not why Jesus came to the earth. The quote that I have on my bulletin board is, God didn't come to make bad people good. He came to make dead people alive. And we need to grasp that. It's not about me doing a couple right things to make up for my bad things. It's the fact that I was dead and now I'm alive. I get fired up about this. Because that's a whole lot of difference. Because when I realize the life that's within me, it changes my behavior. 
out and strive to live better. I don't have to go out and strive to not do those bad things. I just, when I'm alive, it changes my behavior. It changes who I am. It changes how I operate. <laughs> Living people act different than dead ones, right? What good is a dead person? What good is an alive person? But God. Holy cow, what a great two words. But God. Two important whys have to be answered, I think, if you're like me. I'm looking at this going, okay, I know who I was. Why would God do this for me? Why would God step in? Why would he want me to be alive? Why would he want to rescue me? Let's go on. Verses 8 and 9. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Now listen. This is what came to me. You ready? By God giving us life by way of grace, it leveled the playing field. Life that's available in Christ isn't just available to those who behave correctly. You with me? We've already established that humans left to their own devices can be pretty evil, right? He can be. But life in Christ is not available to those who do the most good deeds. Those who have the most money. Those are from from the right family heritage. From the right side of the tracks. Who keep the most commandments. Who go to church the most. Put the most in the offering plate. Feed the hungry. Heal the sick. Now those things aren't necessarily bad. But they're not the path to life. The grace of God is. God's grace makes a level playing field. There's no competition in grace. You guys getting this? Everyone look at me. God does not love me any more than he loves you. God doesn't love my sons because they're preacher's kids any more than he loves your kids. God doesn't bestow any more grace on me because I'm full-time in ministry than he does in you if you run a forklift or dig a ditch or teach a class. Or You get what I'm saying? You can't work any harder or live any better to get more of God's grace. Consequently, you can't do anything bad enough to not have that grace available to you. You getting that? Because that's, that's important to understand too. Yeah, I can't earn any more, but the grace that's available doesn't get any less just because I do some bad things. God's grace is God's grace. Period. Available to all. You, me, and everybody. So why would God do this for such messed up, messed up people? Look at verses 6 and 7. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with Him in the heavenly realms of Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages, listen, He might show the incomparable riches of His grace expressed in His kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Why did God do this to such messed up people? To show the world. To show the world how much How big, how great is His grace. How much kindness He has. He did this so that we could be a witness to a world. To a culture that continually asks the question, is God really a good God? The grace, mercy, and love that's lavished on us shouts a resounding yes. God is good. Let's keep going. It gets even better. 
I get fired up about Ephesians. Go to verse 10. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Listen, another reason why God does this, another reason why God lavished his grace on us is to assure us of who we are. To assure us of our identity. Who are we? We're handmade originals according to this verse. We're handcrafted. Have you ever seen the, how many of you have ever watched the Antiques Roadshow thing? Right? So in the Antiques Roadshow or American Pickers or any of them, they put this thing up there. And when it gets on TV in the Antiques Roadshow, it's like, oh, well, this is going to be a good one. Well, what increases the value usually? If they can trace it back to somebody who's famous or a famous, a famous artist made this or painted this or handcrafted this, man, that ups the value big time. Culture would have us believe we're just a sack of chemicals worth about three bucks. Just happened to come about because two cells knew what to do in some primordial soup billions and billions of years ago. That's not what my Bible says. My Bible says I'm a handcrafted original. God formed me with his, with his very hands. How valuable is that? They wouldn't have a number big enough to put across the bottom when they do the bing at the Antiques Roadshow when they say how much it is, right? They put me up there and then bing it. They just wouldn't know what number it would be. We're invaluable because we're handmade originals by the Creator Himself. God lavishes His grace on us so that we know who we are. We know what our value is. Holy cow, I could get excited. Listen. If grace wasn't involved, if somehow, this is, this is so clear, we, we've got to get this. If somehow grace wasn't involved, if there was some way for me to attain all this by myself, if I could work out all the bad things and make it okay with God, then somehow grace wouldn't be an all play. You guys get this? Grace makes it an all play. Doesn't matter who I am, what I've done, where I've been, good or bad. Grace is available for us all. Life is available to everyone, not just some. Life breathed into us by way of grace and grace alone from one source alone, I believe, humbles us to a position where we can truly say, God, you know what? You gave me this life, so use me. If we go back to that verse, well, how's the end of that verse show us? What's it say? We are prepared to do, we're created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. You see what? God's got a plan for you. He's got a plan for me. The Holy Spirit's already out there. He's already preparing ways. He's already preparing hearts. He's, he's got things lined up for you to do. You understand how valuable that makes us? We're partners with the one true living God. How valuable is that? God, sign me up. Wherever, whatever. You've given me enough grace. I'm yours. Use me. Something else that's really important here. We go to verses 11 through 13. Therefore, remember. Therefore, remember. Therefore, remember. Therefore. When we see a therefore in Scripture, we have to look what happened prior to it. Why? Because the therefore is saying, in light of what you just heard, 
this is true. That's what a therefore does. So Paul laid out all these things about God's grace. Why we have God's grace. And then he says, therefore, here's why we have all of this grace. In light of all of that grace, here's what comes next. Therefore, remember that formerly you are, you are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands. Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Paul is speaking to the Gentiles here. Do you know who we are? We're Gentiles. And so Paul's talking to us here as well. You see, God's original covenant was with Abraham, was with Israel, God's chosen people set apart from all the others. And God's intention was that his chosen people would point people to the one true living God. That was his purpose. The nation of Israel was to be a light to the world, to draw people to God himself. Their lives were to be be a testimony. But quite honestly, generation after generation after generation, the Jewish leaders became more enthusiastic about following the law than they did pointing people to the one true God. And so they formed this opinion in their mind about anything that wasn't part of the club. If you weren't a Jew... You were on the outside looking in. If you weren't a Jew, you were despicable and no good and you can't be part of us because you don't follow the law. In fact, the Gentiles were kept away. They they were not told that they had a God who loved them, who wanted to be in a relationship with them because the Jews literally saw the rest of the world as less than. Not worthy, pagans, evil. In the temple, it even had a barrier where this is, you could only go this far unless you were a Jew. Then you could come a little farther. If you think about it too, I read this this week, and I'd never thought about this before. But the Jews, no matter how bad their life got, no matter how many times they were, they were in exile or, or under the rule of a, a Roman leader or some other leader, they always had the promise of a coming Messiah. They could look into the future and say, someday, someday the Messiah is going to show up and we're going to be free. See, the Gentiles didn't have that hope because they were told by the Jews that that Messiah was for them and nobody else in the world. So the Gentiles, I would say, really had a hopeless future. They had no hope of being free. Let's continue on, 13 and 14. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. Paul says, you know what? Through the blood of Jesus, through grace, those who have previously been excluded, those who have been kept at arm's length are now brought near. The wall has come down. Because of God's grace, we are invited in. What's it feel like to be invited in, folks? Have you ever felt like you've been on the outside looking in? Come on, I bet every one of us could put our hands up and say, absolutely, I've been on the outside looking in. In a lot of different areas, 
you're not a member of the club, sorry. What's the, what's the credit card? American Express? Membership has its privileges? We've all been that in that kind of position in our lives, some more than others. We've all felt excluded at some point in time. But because of God's grace, we've been invited in. Invited into what? Look at 15 through 19. By setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations, his purpose was create, to create in himself what? One new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. And in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. Wow. This is a mouthful, but think about it. One body, one humanity, one family, not native members versus foreigners, not people who were known versus stranger, not us and them, just us. Brothers and sisters, members of the same household, members of the same family, same privileges, same inheritance, same responsibilities, same access to the Father. Which brings about verses 15 and 17. It says, by, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations, his purpose was to create himself one humanity out of the two, thus making peace. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. What's it bring about? It brings about peace. Our world could use a little peace, couldn't it? What Jesus did on the cross, the grace that the Father had for us, the mercy and love that He poured out on us, all of us, equally, without prejudice, brings about peace. Paul clearly tells us all that Christ did is that He took us and them and made it we. They aren't loved. They aren't given grace. They aren't special. They aren't given mercy. We are. All of us. I heard somebody say this week, we were with a group of pastors up near Harrisburg praying together, and I heard one of them say, if the cross can't take us and them and make it we, I don't know what can. Let me finish this up. How do we apply this to our daily lives? Verses 21 and 22. In Him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in Him, you two are being built together to become the dwelling in which God lives by His Spirit. You've heard me beating this drum time and time again of late. What does this grace do? What does this us and them becoming we do? It brings about oneness. How often do we put up barriers? We keep people who are not like us at arm's length. People that don't believe the same things we do. They don't have the same life perspectives as, as we do. We don't want anything to do with them, so we exclude them. We keep them out. How often do we put qualifiers and conditions on being part of the family or being part of our friendship in our circle? Here's the list of things you got to do. Here's the hoops you have to jump through. Here's the rules that you got to keep to be one of us. You can come in if. You can take part if. I hear you're not perfect. I hear you have a past. I hear you've done this or that. You don't like us. You're not like us. You're different. 
Bottom line is I don't trust you. I'll let you in, but only so far. Grace says stop looking at yourself as an outsider. Grace says stop looking at others as an outsider. You see, grace is truly the ultimate leveler. The blood of Jesus is the ultimate unifier. It's the one ingredient that makes this whole thing work. One more thing we can take away from this. The Jews went to a temple to worship God. They believed that God made His dwelling place in the temple, a physical place. But Paul is telling us here, God now has a different dwelling place. Where is it? Right here. Right there. And right there. And right there. He dwells within us. His presence is within us. And we can take Him anywhere we go. That means we can worship Him anytime, place, And we should. That also means that others can encounter God because of the presence we have within us. You guys have heard me say that a hundred times, and I believe it. I believe it, I believe it, I believe it. People encounter God because they encounter Him within us. The bride of Christ. Beautiful, amazing, unique, handmade original parts. And when they all come together, they make up one body, one temple, one dwelling place of the one true God. Jesus went to the cross for you. Jesus went to the cross for me. Jesus went to the cross for your neighbor, your coworker, your teacher, your boss, a family member, stranger you just walked past on the street. You name him or her, Jesus went to the cross for them. And that act of grace means this. You, me, they, everyone has a seat at the dinner table. You are invited in because of grace and grace alone. Let's pray. Father God, I pray that we would just so internalize this message from Paul. That we would truly understand what Paul was trying to get across to us. That we would truly see one another as equals. Equal access to the grace provided to us by what you did on the cross, Jesus pray that we would live our lives that way that it would change the way we see our neighbors that it would change the way we see ourselves and it would affect the way we live our lives father god i truly truly expect a great revival in our city as we who are full of grace as we who understand grace begin to live that out and walk that out in our lives and people are drawn to that Because we're lifting you up, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Go full of grace. Have a great Sunday.